Welcome. Happy Memorial Day. Uh, it's easy to get lost in the weekend and the long weekend and the barbecue and stuff. So we just want to stop and just um, admit and recognize with you all uh, what Memorial Day is. Um, a lot of tension in our country, in our state, in our county, in our city. Um, there's a lot of other places in the world to live, which are just fine places, not as good as the United States of America. And the reason is because a bunch of people sacrificed and gave way more than we would possibly imagine um, centuries ago and decades ago so that we can live in the country we live in and enjoy the freedom of it. Doesn't make the other countries bad, just makes us appreciate where we live. Um, with all its bumps and bruises and warts and all, uh, it's still a, the, uh, a great, great place to live. So we want to acknowledge and remember that people gave their lives so that we can live the way we live. Um, thanks for being here this morning. Um, listen, we are, uh, some of you are getting to really love this place, and I'm going to just break your heart because we're not going to stay in this gym forever, all right? We're um, two more weeks here, and on Father's Day, June 20th, we'll be back at the high school in the Performing Arts Center back to whatever normal is. Uh, we'll be back there. We'll be there for about a year. Then we'll move into the, the new community center um, at Lake Chelan, and we will um, just all, what will we be, Trista? Thank you. Excited. Just uh, <laughs> thank you, Trista. Um, yeah, so listen, we're going to talk a little bit about this in the next couple of weeks, but uh, we have great opportunities for you to join that adventure, all right, for all y'all, that as we return to the pack, um, we, that means our children's program expands back into classrooms, all right? We need you to, to uh, join us in the adventure of hanging out with uh, our kids and real kids, all right? Uh, we have um, expanded opportunity for you to hang out in the sound booth, helping with um, sound and, and video and our live stream. We need you. And if you're like, hey, I want to help. I don't know anything you'll fit perfectly with that sound and video team, all right? Uh, there are people up there that can help you and, and, and give you some steps and what to do. Uh, if, you, if you just want to say, ah, I'm kind of new here, I don't know what to do, then just be part of our greeting team. Uh, there's a place for you uh, at every age, whether you're a high schooler or more than a high schooler, there's a place for you to do that. We have spots on the connection team and at the connection table. And there, listen, we... We keep talking as a staff, and I haven't figured it out yet. After all this pandemic stuff, we don't want to go back to normal. We want to go back to better than normal. I don't know what that looks like, but that's what we're aiming for. All right? You say, how, how you're aiming to, at nothing. Yeah, well, I'm not just going to settle. We don't want to settle for just going back to packing and carrying as usual because real life exists to help people far from God find real life in Christ. And when we started real life almost nine years ago, we said there's a bunch of people in our community that never show up to church, that aren't connected with the community, that are without hope that comes from Jesus. That's our target audience. Let's go get them. And until we've reached that 10,000 people, our job isn't done. So we're just getting going. All right. The, the end of our, and then I'm done uh, getting all excited. The end of our time and our journey and our goal isn't to move in the community center and we say, look what we did, we're done. All right. The community center is just a tool for us to continue reaching the entire community, not to convince them to be real-life members or attenders, 
but for them to be exposed to the love and hope and grace of Jesus. So I would ask that you be part of that and join us. You can join up as whole families. We can, there's places for you on Sunday mornings. Uh, we'd invite you to participate in that. As we move ahead this morning, we're continuing our Urban Legend series, which is stuff that, um, dumb stuff that smart people believe. All right, and I'll review a little bit so we're all caught up and on, on the same page. But this morning, we're going to talk about, really, in my limited time of being a big boy pastor, what most people hate talking about. I think online, you'll see that the name of the sermon is, when we use the F word, uh, the F word's forgiveness. Uh, no one likes to talk about it. Uh, we all want to be forgiven, but we struggle with offering forgiveness to other people. And you're like, no, I don't. Like, if your wife burned the dinner, well, that's sexist. If your husband burned the dinner, and then you as the wife say, can't you do anything right? And you're like, oh, I was wrong. So the next day you say, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Easy. But what do you do with stuff where people have hurt you and mistreated you and deceived you that they have treated your kids poorly? Uh, they're, they're, there's uh, employers that, that you were falsely uh, accused of doing something, that someone broke your heart, but they didn't just do it like, let's, they, 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 it wasn't just like, hey, we're never getting back together. It's like, you're a, the worst person ever. I mean, what do you do with stuff where it's just deep down pain, hurt, and then someone like me steps up and says, you know what? You should forgive that person. Why? Well, Jesus said so. That's too, that's too hard. That's, that's not a good system. So we're going to talk about that this morning. There's an urban legend that surrounds that we're going to talk about. I'm glad you're here. Let's pray. God, thanks. Uh, thanks for your forgiveness of us. And some of us don't understand that, and some of us fail to accept it, and others of us take it for granted. So God, I ask that this morning, in everything that happens, that you point us towards a forgiving heart because you have been a forgiving God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Welcome to you all. If you're uh, on our online campus this morning, thanks for tuning in. Um, um, like Pitbull, we are worldwide. Is that the guy? Is it Pitbull, the worldwide guy? Um, who's the Florida guy? Oh, that's Flo Rida. This is just for the kids. His name's Flo Rida because he's from Florida. If you put it together, yeah, you, you old people get that on the way home. That's who he really is. Uh, Listen, yeah, we're worldwide because um, my mom listens in Iowa. Um, my daughters ignore me in Idaho and Arizona. We, we, we are uh, everywhere, whether we're watched or ignored. Brewster, thanks for uh, joining in up there uh, at the middle school. Um, Listen to your basketball game last night. I think the boys beat Wild Luke. Um, Carl Word does a good job. Broadcasting games, not as good as uh, the voice of the goats, Steve Simmons. Um, so welcome, Pateras, Mansfield, wherever you're listening. Uh, thanks for being here. And you all that made your way on this Memorial Day weekend into the community gym here in Chelan, thanks for being here. We're really uh, at the, in the middle, kind of turning the corner towards the end of a series we call Urban Legends. And Urban Legends are dumb things that smart people believe. I heard a new one this week that if you get a wart, all right, and this is really, I, the family does this. If you get a wart, you take a potato and you cut it in half, and you take one half of the potato, set it aside, you take this half, rub it on the wart, and then you go bury the other half in the ground and your wart will disappear. Um, 
also works with stubborn body fat. I rubbed potato all, all over here. So just next week, you'll, I'll be like, uh, yeah, there's all these things that we believe. Now, that's a stupid one, and it won't have any positive or negative effect on you. But there are things that we believe that can really affect our life. And we think they're true. And some of the dumb things that we believe, even though we're smart people, we get to the point where it could start having a disastrous effect on our life. Uh, that's why in the New Testament, Paul, who's trying to help people who are new followers of Jesus learn to live by the teachings of Jesus, warns them. And he says this, don't copy the behaviors and patterns and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How you think matters. And Paul thinks there's a way for you to change the way you think. Even if you believe dumb stuff in the past, there's a way for you to believe new good stuff in the future. Then this is what happens. Then you'll know what God's will is, what God wants from you, where it's his direction. You'll know what that is, and that will is good and pleasing and perfect. So here's where we've been with our urban legends. A couple weeks ago, we said that uh, a legend is God has an exact blueprint for my life, which is not true. God has a game plan for your life. A blueprint is like you got to follow exactly. You miss one thing, the whole house falls apart. But God has a game plan for your life. Uh, we said, just follow your heart. Or like Jiminy Cricket said, just let your conscience be your guide. You'll be fine. All right? That's not true. The truth is we let God's word be our guide. A couple weeks ago, God will never give you more than he can handle. And you guys have heard that. Usually you're in the middle of a horrible time and someone comes along that you just want to punch and, and they say, well, I know it's really difficult right now, but God's never going to give you more than you can handle. That's a lie. That's urban legend. The truth is God will never give you more than he can handle. And then last week we talked about, which was a little controversial, we talked about um, that my faith can fix anything because on the outset that seems like it's true. But the problem is that says if you believe hard enough, if you pray the right prayers, if you give enough money, if you do all the right things, God has to reward you and answer and fix anything wrong in your life. And the Bible says that's not true, but our experience says that's not true. The truth is, my faith can sustain me through even the darkest, most difficult time. So this morning, we're on a, a, a little journey um, the title, of, like I said earlier here in Chelan, the title of this sermon is when we use the F word, because the F word when it comes to ministry and dealing with people is forgiveness. No, it's really difficult to forgive. People who have offended and hurt us, it feels like eternally or long-lastingly, not little slights, like I waved at them and they didn't wave back at me. This is, this is deep stuff that, that hurts. The, the, the thing is, Everybody wants to receive forgiveness, but very few of us want to extend it because it is so difficult. And it seems like when you read the New Testament, Jesus says, forgive, forgive, forgive. Throughout the New Testament, we're told, forgive, forgive, forgive. And then when it comes right down to it, it's like, man, it's so hard. It's a central theme of Christianity, but the heart of it is so radically difficult. When it comes to actually... We can talk about forgiveness, and we can read verses about forgiveness. When it comes to actually doing it, it is so remarkably difficult. Random story of forgiveness, and stories like this mess us up. Uh, there's a, a kid by the name of, ja, uh, I got his name here, Jamil McGee, lived in Benton Harbor, Michigan, and in 2005, he's walking down the street, and uh, a cop pulls up and arrests him. 
for uh, dealing drugs. So Jamil goes to prison, and the entire time Jamil says, I didn't do it, I'm innocent, right? But a lot of guilty people say that. When you get caught and you're headed to prison, of course you didn't do it. But it turns out that Jamil was right. The cop who arrested him's name is Andrew Callan, and he was a crooked police officer. He pulled Jamil over, wrote him up, falsified the records, planted evidence, and convicted an innocent man. After four years in prison, it turns out that the police officer, Andrew Callan, gets caught, and he's done that to many, many, many different people. He, he was messed up, he had his own issues, and he sent lots of innocent guys to, to jail. So after four years, and the cop gets busted, they let Jamil out of prison. They're like, hey, yay, Jamil, you got out of prison. Yeah, after losing everything and being incarcerated for four years for something he didn't do. Jamil said the entire time he was in prison, he kept thinking his goal was to get out, find the cop, and hurt him as much as he could. This is where I'd be like, oh, okay, good story. Here's where it turns. Jamil gets out of prison, and he doesn't have a lot of resources, so he, he, he joins this like a Christian employment agency that runs a cafe in Benton um, uh, Harbor, Michigan, that uh, uh, helps people who need an extra step up or, or coming out of bad situations. So he joins and works at this cafe called the Mosaic Cafe. The first day he's working there, he runs smack into the officer that falsely accused him and arrested him. They're both working at the same cafe. They walked up to each other, and immediately, when you hear the officer talk, he's kind of broken, and he said, all I could do was say, I'm so sorry. You, there's no reason for you to forgive me. I'm so sorry. And Jamil, the falsely accused guy who spent four years in prison, said that's all he needed to hear. Didn't punch him, didn't spit on him, didn't call him a name. He forgave this guy. I'm like, come on, man. So the interviewer that's interviewing him says, Why'd you, why, what, what, why would you do that? Was it for your benefit? For why, what was your motivation? And he said, because of his faith in Jesus, it compelled him, pushed him forward. But he forgave this cop, Andrew, for himself. He forgave this cop, Andrew, for Andrew's benefit. And then he said, and I forgave him for all of our benefit. Because I knew the way I responded would not just affect me and him, but everybody else around us that would come in contact with us. That's a story of forgiveness. Like, that's, just, that's made up. That's, I wouldn't believe it unless I saw the guys interviewed myself. So it comes back to us, and we're like, man... I got people in my life, I would never, I would never. Listen, before you think, and I know you do, you do and you should, that Kyle, you, I know you don't struggle with anything and you have forgiven everybody in your life and of course that should be the way it is. It's not. I saw people, I'm working on it, but you know you struggle with forgiveness when you're at Walmart and you see someone across the store and two things happen. You say, I hate that person, and you turn and go the opposite direction. That's a sign you still need some forgiveness work, all right? And I don't think I'm at the good page, on the same page and good page with everybody I know, all right? Nothing to do with Walmart. I love Walmart. I've forgiven Walmart. It's people in there, all right? So here's the problem. 
most of us don't understand, and whether you're a Christian or a church person or a Bible person or not, a lot of this stuff isn't just a church thing or a Christian thing. This is just good truth. But for us to understand, some of us were raised in the church or we, and we learned some stuff, and then we took that stuff that probably really wasn't truth, and we pushed it to other people and scattered it all over. And we've been taught that forgiveness is, is, is stuff like this. Then there's these myths. We think this is forgiveness. It's not. So let me give you a few myths of forgiveness. First of all, forgiveness means pretending like it never happened. That's not forgiveness. You can forgive somebody and still know what they did was wrong, all right? Instead, just put your head in the sand and everything's fine. Or forgiveness is a never-ending series of second chances. You hurt me, I forgave you. You hurt me again, I forgave you. You know what? You can hurt me as much as you want. I'll just keep it. That's what forgiveness is. You just allow yourself to be hurt and, and mistreated. And, and That's not forgiveness. Or forgiveness, we think, is a fresh start. All the consequences removed. That, okay, I forgave them, so all the bad things for what they did are going to go away. Or we think, hey, I asked you to forgive me, so you have to forgive me, and now I don't have to go to jail. I don't have to repay my taxes. I don't have to make amends. That's not forgiveness. Or it's immediate restoration of a broken relationship. Someone does something, again, it could be horrible. And forgiveness means like you just have a slumber party and everything's fine. Everybody's happy. Every, that's not forgiveness. And maybe our struggle with forgiveness is because we don't understand the teaching of Jesus and the New Testament to what exactly real forgiveness is. The biggest myth of forgiveness is this, that forgiveness means forgetting. Some of you have struggled to forgive somebody because you think, when I forgave them, that means I should forget all about it. And then you find yourself feeling that same old feelings and feeling betrayed and feeling hurt, and you think, ah, oh, I struggle with forgiveness. Because real forgiveness means forgetting. Not true. You know where that comes from is, again, uh, church people alert. You're not going to agree with me for a second. Just, just before you throw stuff, just hear me out, all right? Um, it's this myth of a forgetful God. Because when I was a kid, I was taught stuff like this, that if you do something wrong, you ask forgiveness from God. You receive forgiveness. If you go and ask forgiveness again for that same sin, God's like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. I have completely forgotten about that sin. Right? And some of you are like, yeah, but doesn't the Bible say? Sure it does. Look at this verse. There's lots of verses like this, especially in the Old Testament. Jeremiah says this, that God says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will what? Remember their sins no more. So we think that God forgets our sin after he forgives us. Right? Wouldn't you take that from that verse? It's kind of like that uh, middle school stuff where we're like, can God build a rock so big he can't lift it? Right? Is there a question God can come up with that he can't answer? where we pit one attribute of God against the other attribute of God. This one is, is God a forgiving God? Yes. Is God omniscient and knows everything? Yes. Well, what, is this the only thing, is this the only place he forgets stuff? Is this the only place he chooses to be incapable? I don't think that's what it means. And, and just so you know, because like some of you are from churches with real pastors, all right, I get that, all right? So this isn't just me talking. But when you look this up, 
When you look at, uh, in a dictionary, we know that forget means an inability to recall something. I don't know what age it is. Certainly it's 50 and beyond where you just start forgetting stuff. Who's with me? Right? You walk into a room and you're like, why did I walk in here? All right? When I do that, it's usually like, well, I need a snack. So whatever reason it was, I'm just headed for a snack. All right? Wait. Yeah, like what? Okay. Uh, the same thing is, um, is uh, we think that those verses that God remembers their sin no more, it's mean God forgot. God forgets. But what it does mean, the word remember is um, to renew his work with someone. Right? Let me give you an example. In Genesis, Noah, remember, it's going to rain, and he loads up his family, and he loads up all the animals two by two. They get in this big boat. It starts to rain. The book of Genesis says that after five months, can you imagine? Five months, Moses was on the boat. I don't know what was harder, right? Being in the ark for five months with the animals or being in the, stuck in the ark for five months with his family, all right? With no escape. When he was in the ark, Genesis says, all of a sudden it says, then God remembered Moses. Do you think that for five months... God just forgot. Oh, man, we put Moses in that boat. We better go do I totally forgot he was down there. Or, or uh, uh, Gabriel the angel came along and said, hey, God, listen, man, you, the hose have been turned on way too long. It's too much water. Turn it off. Remember Moses? Oh, uh, Moses. Uh, Noah. Moses was in there, too. That'd be a real thing. Uh, Noah. <laughs> I was like, I totally forgot about Noah. I told, even though I'm almighty, all-knowing, omniscient God, Genesis says, and then God remembered Noah. Did that mean he forgot all about Noah? No, of course it doesn't. It means that when he remembered Noah, he went back to work and renewed his relationship and contact with him. When God says he remembers our sin no more, it's not like he forgot. He's omniscient. When he remembers our sin no more, it means he no longer responds to us in light of our sin. And here's the thing, for some of us, when we think that forgiving means forgetting, when the call to forgive morphs into a call to forget all about it, we say, I'm out. If you expect forgiveness for me to be forget it, which feels like letting the person off the hook, acting like it didn't matter, acting like it, when you, I'm not doing it. And then we're ripping ourselves off and really the people around us off as well. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, there's this um, kind of forgiveness confusion um, where we start looking at forgiveness. And even if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, yeah, no, it's too much. I can't do it that way. And you're like, even if you're not, you're like, what's the big deal? See, when we think forgiving means forgetting, a, a, a couple of bad things happen. I'm going to blow right through them. First of all, we get angry at God. Some of us, not most of you, but some of us, you know who you are, like myself, have issues. We've had issues, we have issues, we'll have issues in the, in the future. And at some point we stop and say, God, this thing's not working for me. 
I was wrong. I need this to change. It's affecting my marriage poorly. It's affecting my ministry poorly. God, I'm coming to you this morning, and I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm sincere and repenting about my struggle. I give it right there. And then a day later, a week later, a month later, you're still struggling with it. And you thought that forgiveness means forgetting, that forgiveness, the struggle goes away. And then you, you're back and like, God, come on, man. I asked for forgiveness, and you're still allowing me to struggle. Two, unreal, unrealistic expectations. It's a tough one. We offend somebody. We hurt somebody. We know we did wrong. We go to them and we ask for forgiveness, and then we expect everything's fine. Right? I mean, the worst example of this is husband cheats on his wife. He comes to his senses. He knows he's wrong before God, before uh, uh, his wife and his family. He goes and he confesses, and then the wife is still struggling, like, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know. We should get some help and everything. And, and he's like, nope. I ask for forgiveness. You have to forgive me. And then when that person doesn't respond the way we think they should, we can write them off as some unforgiving slop. And then my sin becomes their fault. Or finally, we just give up. Some of you have walked away or want to walk away or looking to get away because you've had stuff in your life that hurts and you think that being connected to Jesus means you have to forget all about that. And whatever that pain is because it's different for everybody, at some time, even after we forgive, the painful memories still stick. They don't, they, you can't will them away, you can't erase them. Pain may lessen, but they never go away. And we think if we forgave, then all those memories, all that stuff should disappear. And we know that that's not true. The idea that there would be this, some kind of spiritual voodoo amnesia that comes just when you forgive someone and it doesn't, then you think there's something wrong with you or there's something wrong with the system. So, the few minutes we have left, I want to take you quickly through a story that Jesus tells. Because the urban legend is that forgetting means, forgiveness means forgetting. But the truth is that forgiveness means remembering and forgiving again. That you forgive, you remember, forgive again. Comes up again, forgive again. For some of you, that will take you every minute of the day for a while. That's the truth. Let me see if I can lead us through this. Here's the definition of forgiveness. A definition of forgiveness that we're going to use, and I don't know what your definition is. This is one we're going to use this morning for the next couple of minutes. When you choose to release a person from the obligation resulting when he or she injured you. That's really a formal definition. But when you choose, when you make a decision to release that person, that they don't owe you anything anymore, even though they injured you, you're not saying it wasn't wrong, you're not saying it's okay, you're not, you're not looking the other way, you're saying, I, I'm choosing to release you from the obligation, because what you did to me hurt, you owe me, and now forgiveness is saying, I'm releasing you from what you owe me, th that obligation. True forgiveness is difficult, and it's a miracle, and if you're struggling with that this morning, and that person keeps coming in your, 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 your brain, you keep thinking about them, it's okay, hold on. It, it's so easy it's so easy for us to fixate on other people's struggles instead of our own. This is a difficult process, all right? 
It's so difficult that Jesus stops and he gives a lot of attention to it. And he tells this disturbing forgiveness story. I'm going to read through it quick. I would encourage you to go to Matthew 18 on your phone or in your Bible at home and, and, and check it out. I'm going to move through it quick, but stay with me, all right? It's a story. And Jesus is trying to explain forgiveness is important. He's got guys that are really close to him like, okay, how many times do we have to forgive? Just a couple times, three times. The law says maybe seven. And Jesus says, no, Peter, it's 70 times seven. Peter says, come on, man, that's not legit. And, he, and Jesus says, yes, it is. Watch this. And he tells a story. He says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. It's the kingdom of heaven, meaning like this isn't in a natural level. This is difficult, supernatural stuff. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him a million dollars. Pick whatever number. It was an enormous amount. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. That was a natural cultural thing. This servant, he didn't have any cash anyway. He owed, he kept borrowing and borrowing from the king. The king said, give me my money. Oh, you can't? All right, well, then we're going to take everything from you until you pay it back. And the reality is, take everything from him. He didn't have resources to pay him back. If you sit in prison, in jail, you take your family's away, couldn't pay. It was an unforgivable amount. There's no way this dude's going to pay his debt. This guy didn't have $10, let alone a million dollars. Let's just side note, no matter where you're at here, you and I cannot have this unforgivable debt to God. There's this debt that we owe because of our messed upness, our sin, our wickedness, whatever you want to call it, and you can't pay that yourself. The servant couldn't pay either. So they tried to work things out, couldn't, and then the servant just, oh, that's my last, last thing I got here. But the man fell down before his master, the king, and he begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. And the king, I'm sure, inside said, no, you won't. You have no ability to pay this off. Very seldom does the person who offended you and hurt you rightly calculate what they owe you. You with me on that? We've been hurt so much, and that person said, okay, I'll make it up to you. No, you won't. We underestimate the impact of our offense. I, and then we say stuff like, come on, just get over it. Or here's the two things I hear when I'm meeting with a couple. I'll, I'll meet with a couple once, and then I'll find them a good counselor. Here's what I've heard over and over and over these many years of being in ministry. The, the excuse for hurting the person you're married to is, A, I was angry. B, I was drunk. So you have to forgive me. I didn't mean it because I was angry, or I didn't mean it because I don't even remember because I was drunk. So you've got to forgive me. We underestimate the impact of our offense. Hold on. Look where this is going. Then his master was filled with pity for him. He's a good king, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. He didn't even say, okay, take some more time. He said, debt wiped out. But that's where the story changes. Get this. When the man left the king... He went to his fellow servant, his buddy, who owed him just a few thousand dollars, not a million, just a few thousand. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. This guy who was just forgiven a million dollar debt finds his buddy and said, you idiot, give me my money. 
His fellow servant fell to the ground before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it. The same quote the guy said to the king earlier. But his creditor, this servant who was forgiven a million dollars, wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. That makes no sense. Give me my money. No, I don't have your money. Okay, then you're going to prison. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The fallout of unforgiveness is huge. Unforgiveness doesn't just affect me or the person I'm not forgiving or the person that won't forgive me. It affects everybody. The other servants are looking at this guy like, what the heck? You can't. That's not right. Stay with me. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven. Just a little while ago, he just wiped a million dollars off this guy's account. And he says, rightly so, you evil servant. Insert whatever word you want there, because it's true. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. I did what you wanted me to do. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just I had mercy on you? And then I bet you the king wanted to say, don't answer that. It's rhetorical. Shouldn't you have treated other people the way I treated you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. And you think, ah, that's harsh. Yeah, that's harsh. The fallout is huge. Listen, unforgiveness punishes everybody in its path. I know you don't like to talk about it. To be honest with you, I don't really like to preach about it. But the fact is, there's so many difficulties in our life because of unforgiveness. The bitterness that comes when we hold on to that stuff affects us in all kinds of ways, emotionally and physically and spiritually. It, at some point, every twice or so, three times a year, we got to stop and talk about it because it's so important. As you look at the story that Jesus told, this is maybe, duh, that's a, he told the story about the kingdom of God. Who's the king? God Almighty. All right? Uh, the servant, by wanting forgiveness of the king but not extending it to others, proved he hadn't really received forgiveness because people that had been forgiven fully would know that their response to other people is to forgive them fully also. Can you imagine standing before the king after having your debt wiped out? And now the compounded guilt of saying, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. I was greedy. I don't know. I didn't like the guy. I don't know. I don't know. The consequences of unforgiveness are long-lasting. Let me give you a couple things as we head for home here. The servant's put in jail. And get this. You may disagree. The servant chose to suffer in order to pay his debt. The king didn't choose that. The king had already released him. The servant decided to be unforgiving, which put him back in that same prison. Listen, if you hear, listen, if you hear nothing else, in fact, just listen for the next 30 seconds, and then you can, you, you can even leave if you want. Unforgiveness puts us in a prison of personal torture that will last as far into the future 
as you remain unrepentant. I know you don't want to believe that's true. That's been my experience. That seems to be what Scripture teaches. That seems to be what other people I know have gone through. Unforgiveness puts me in a prison of personal torture. Unforgiveness does not put my offender in a prison of personal torture. And that continues to last as long as I choose not to forgive. Now, let me give you some practical stuff. Here's our definition. Forgiveness, um, um, oh, forgiveness is both a decision and a process. All right? Let me explain that in just a second. Here's our definition. When you choose to release a, per, a person from the obligation resulting when they injured you, it all starts with a decision. You don't, don't start with a feeling, doesn't start, you don't even have to have the facts right. Forgiveness starts with a decision that you say, this morning, you can do this right now, it won't take you anything. I choose to forgive this person today. All right? Now, you, ha- you haven't gone down the road of forgiveness completely, but it has to start there. You can say, I don't want to forgive that person. That, forgive, that person's a jerk. I can't, I'll never get over what they did to me and my family. Okay, Fine. But it starts with saying, but for the betterment of me and the people I love around me, and because I don't want to be in a prison of personal, uh, uh, personal torture, I'm going to forgive. So you make a decision. But then forgiveness is both a decision and a process, and the process is important. All right? The process is you start living like you've forgiven that person even though there's still emotional connection to it. Let me give you some examples. The way the process works is you say, I won't bring the offense up to the person who offended me. I want to. I want to tell them again how horrible it is. I want to write a letter. I want to put it on Facebook. Get on TikTok, and I'm going to dance how much I hate the guy. Do they have hateful dances on there? I think uh, Flo Rider has one. Uh, I won't bring the offense up to others. I'm not going to talk about what that person did to this person over here. Well, why not? That's okay. That person's a jerk. Yeah, that gets in the way of you being forgiving. It gets in the way of your personal prison of torture that you don't want to be in. Second, I won't bring the offense up to myself. That's the hardest one. I'm not going to keep chewing it over. Like when I think about that person, get up and move. Do something to refocus you're thinking, so you're on to something else. Super difficult. If you think this is bam, 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 and you're done by the time you get to your car, not true. Because here's what happens. Forgiveness is both a decision and a process. When we struggle with the process, we've got to go back to the decision. When you find yourself stumbling through the process, like, no, I do want to bring it up with this person. No, I am putting it on Facebook. No, I am going to write a song that we're never getting back together. I mean, I, I, I am going to do... When you find yourself not being able to live out the process, then sometimes we think, oh, there's, what's wrong with me? I can't forgive. Yes, you can. Go back to the decision. Go back to that point and forgive again. Because forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Forgiveness means forgiving, remembering, forgiving, remembering, forgiving, remembering, and pretty soon, I guess you got to trust me on this, as you live out the decision through the process, all of a sudden you wake up one day and say, this isn't as, this doesn't have as strong as hold on me as it used to. 
and slowly you move in the right direction. So what's that look like? Paul says, talking about people, how important forgiveness is. He says, this is what forgiveness looks like. He says, you got to let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. You know why? Because that's what forgiving one another looks like. And we know that because that's how God forgave you and me. That bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, that has nothing, that's what you forgave. That has nothing to do with being a forgiving person. All that stuff will start decreasing in your life as you start trying to live out the process of forgiveness. It's not a generic forgiveness like you're headed to a parking spot and someone got cuts in front of you. You're like, ah, okay, I'm going to forgive that guy. All right? I don't know if that's easier or harder for you, but that's not long-lasting. When you try to forgive with still bitterness and anger and clamor and slander and wrath in your life, when you try to squeeze kindness from an unforgiving heart, it just drips more bitterness. And that's hypocrisy and phoniness that Christianity is famous for. We act like we're forgiving. We put a face on it out here. But if I still have that in my heart, whenever I act, try to be forgiving, unforgiveness just squeezes what's already inside there. And the bitterness doesn't hurt the person that offended you. It only hurts you. So, You've heard this before, maybe. Forgiven people should be forgiving. I hate should words. I'm sorry I used it. But when we've been forgiven, we can understand a little bit to forgive. If you've done something horrible and someone said, okay, I forgive you, Kyle, it makes it easier for you to give somebody else when they do something horrible to you. And the only people that know that are people that have done something horrible. If you've never done anything horrible, God bless you. Your name's Darlene, and you're married to me. God bless you, okay? There's not very many of you out there. But for those of us who have messed up and had to seek forgiveness and receive it, it's a little easier to give it. Still difficult. So what do you do now? Three things are these next steps we talk about every week. There's a blue card that we call the connection card. We are hot on the connection card, all right? Sarah Barnes, uh, our connections director, has this connection team, and they figuratively whip me every week saying, get people to, fig- f- people to fill out a connection card, connection card, connection card, connection card. And you think, I've filled one out before. We fill it out again. We want your birthday and anniversary. We want to know whatever tattoos you have. What, uh, we, we got your bank records, and um, we're checking your prison records as, as we speak, all right? We, listen, we just want to connect with you, and we can't connect without any information. So you can go online and do that. That's the best way. You can fill out the blue card in Brewster or here in Chelan that we handed out to you. Contained on the connection card are these next steps. Would you pick one as we wrap this up as to think about this week? First of all, this seems obvious. Identify who you need to forgive. If you haven't done that yet, probably don't have anybody that's uh, trying to put you in a personal, prison of personal, personal torture. But for most of us, as soon as I said forgive, someone's name came to mind. And it, it could have been 30 years ago. It could have been this weekend. But someone came to mind. And you have been stewing over it the entire time. It's okay. I'm not judging you at all for it. As I've said that, you said, Kyle, that's great. I ain't doing that. 
I'm not asking you to. Step one is the easiest step. You just identify that person. You don't have to forgive them. You don't have to do anything. Step one, identify the person. You can stop right there and say, I went to church and I did what the pastor said. Okay. Two, commit to the process of forgiveness. If you're not ready to do that yet, okay. Okay. And you maybe decided a couple of years ago when you started the process of forgiveness and it didn't work out, okay. Come back and decide again. Do they deserve it? Does it let them off the hook? Absolutely not. And finally, accept the payment for your ultimate debt. If you're here, you're listening, if you're in Brewster, if you're online, and you haven't ever experienced the enormous 100% forgiveness of God of the sin and the muck and the wickedness and the junk that has separated you from God, then, man, it is tough to understand forgiveness. When a holy God says, here's an offer of forgiveness, acceptance of relationship with Jesus Christ that wipes out this penalty of your sin, that wipes out your sin. God doesn't forget it. He remembers it and keeps forgiving it. If you've never been to that place, then you're really at a disadvantage to understanding forgiveness. But God, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay anything back. Jesus took that all on him so it made it possible for you to have a relationship with God because of forgiveness you received because of Jesus. I'm praying that you make that decision. In fact, if you make that decision, would you let Pastor Billy know or put on a card or, 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 or if you're on Facebook, type something in for us, let us know or contact us or just put it on your blue card. Receiving forgiveness from God is the beginning of your ability to forgive people around you. Let's pray. God, thanks. Thanks for Jesus. It's the only reason we get together. It's the only reason we put a band together. It's the only reason we have visuals and audio and sermons. It's all about Jesus. God, thank you for his sacrifice as our Savior for us that sets us free from our guilt, from our sin, from our consequences. God, I ask that you would move in our hearts, even though it's so difficult, that we would just lean a direction of unforgiveness towards people who have offended us mightily. Give us a, a sense of hope that that's possible as we make that decision and follow process, but as we trust in you and the hope and love you give us no matter how we respond. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Man, thanks for being here this morning. Brewster, thanks. Have a great uh, weekend online. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thanks, y'all, for being here this morning. See ya. Love ya. Bye.